I observed the man in the orange jumpsuit compose himself after the collar's electric shock. I didn't feel anything. I wasn't happy to see him suffer, but all living things suffer, so I didn't particularly care. He's all yours, the lady with the bun said, handing my father his phone. My father smiled for the first time in seven years since Sarah went missing, was murdered. The man in the orange jumpsuit is who they say killed her. His name is Isaac Jesse James Lalaren. I learned this while pretending to be asleep on the car ride home from the prison, as my father told my mother. I learn a lot by pretending. I pretend to be asleep. I pretend to be sweet. I pretend to be ignorant. But most importantly, I pretend that I don't know things. I know a lot. Apparently they found Sarah's DNA in his apartment along with a lock of her hair. That was all that was needed to skirt due process, a trial, and a jury. It was enough to attach an electronic collar around his neck and serve him to an angry father. They had him dead to rights, they said. There was no mention in the media of my sister's murder being solved. Internet crime sleuths weren't making videos about the cold case. There was no perp walk for Ike Lalaren. No, his sentence was to disappear. When you no longer existed, people didn't know to care about what was happening to you. Ike had sat there looking dazed when they accused him of killing my sister. Not accused, told him he was a murderer. They had taken him away while the plainclothes men and the friendly woman with the bun congratulated my father and shook his hand. Make good use of it, the bun woman had said, slipping the folder containing every gory detail of Sarah's murder to him. As we were ushered out of the building to the car, my father had a pep to his step. My mother was still a wreck. She cried behind the veil, blew her nose, moaned, and waited in her grief. Once the trailer was hitched, they brought Ike out. His orange jumpsuit had been exchanged for worn jeans that hung loosely around his narrow hips and a white thermal shirt. The collar glistened around his neck. My father stared in the side mirror as they put Ike into the back of the trailer. There was a coldness now in his eyes, nestled up against the pain that had resided there for the past seven years. He no longer felt like my dad, and that loaded me with a heaviness. The car ride home was quiet, with only my mother's intermittent sniffing reminding us of each other's existence. Then we pulled onto the dirt road leading down the path to our dilapidated house with its overgrown lawn and weathered structures. My once diligent father had turned lazy, he didn't fix things anymore. He rigged them. It seemed for my father everything was temporary. That'll do had become his new tagline. Our farm only feeds us now, and just barely. My father had spent the past seven years suckling the liquor bottle while reading the Bible, the Old Testament, over and over and over, as if preparing for this moment. He pulled the car into its spot under the tree and removed his phone from his pocket, turning it over and over in his hand. He looked over at my mother. She looked down at the phone, at the open app on the screen, and shrank away. I'm going to my room, she said, rushing from the car and towards the house. My father watched her disappear inside. What about you, sweet pea? My father turned to look at me in the back seat, a smile breaking through the stress wrinkles on his craggy face. Want to see what we got? I shrugged and followed him out of the car and around the back of the trailer. My dad opened it. Ike was lying down on a gurney, snoring loudly. Get up, my father said softly. I said, get up. Ike jumped awake, groggy and confused. Where am I? My father grinned. Home.
I don't know when I lost my ability for compassion. I assume I had it at one point, but it escaped me long ago. I know this to be true because I've seen the things my father has done to Ike, and I feel nothing. You probably assume this is due to him being accused of killing my sister, and you would be wrong. I think I am simply cold. My mother is cold. My father was cold until he got Ike. He has never been more passionate. He is housing Ike in the barn. He's modified it, thinking it muffles the screams, but it doesn't. Not that it matters. No one feels sorry for Ike. Screams. So many screams can be heard from the barn. When I lay my head down to sleep, Ike's screams are my lullabies. My father spends more time with Ike than he does with my mother. I think he instinctively knows that she is not a good person. She is sad, destroyed even, but she is not a good person. I know this, and she knows that I know. She is in mourning and has been since the day my sister's body was found, but underneath it all, she is not a good person. I have always been a daddy's girl. Sarah and my mother were kindred spirits. They shared beauty and wit. They were rebellious and selfish while I shared my father's earnestness and work ethic and the ability to hold grudges. I collect grudges. It's all I have to fill my young life, grudges and plans that involve them. In fact, I sit here on the floor in front of the TV, plotting on exacting revenge and executing my biggest grudge. I am lost in this trance when my mother enters the living room and sits in her recliner. She rarely leaves her room, and when she does, it bothers me. I like the idea of her closed off in her room, contained, unable to infect my father and me with her grief. My father and I have tucked our grief away. We lick our wounds in private. My mother bleeds on everyone even when she's caused the wound. I can feel her watching me. It's suffocating. Always watching me. No, watching over me as if afraid she'll misplace me. Lose me to rough hands encircled around my neck, squeezing and squeezing. I shivered. Have you eaten? She asks. I nod. Is a lie a lie if you don't speak it? I ponder for a second before getting to my feet and walking over to the picture frame. I can feel her tense. It makes me smile. She knows before I do it. She knows what I am going to do. I want her to hurt. I want to punish her. I picked up the frame. Don't, she whispers. I pretend not to hear. I feel her sit up, leaning forward, her hands together as if in prayer, eyes wide and anxious. I do it. I slowly sit the frame upright. She screams loud enough to rival Ike. I think that is good. It's what she deserves. Put it back, she wails, standing, not daring to come any closer. Afraid that my father would run to her aid, I place the frame back. My sister's smiling face disappears. My mother's breathing slowly returns to normal. Thank you, she says softly. I am merciful today, but one day I won't be. One day I will leave that frame upright, even if it kills her. Grudges. I turned to her and smiled. Be sure to eat something, she says, slipping into her slippers and leaving the room. Moments later, her bedroom door closes. Voices from outside capture my attention, and I look out the window at my father and his best friend, Henry Taylor, on the porch talking. Henry is tall, three inches taller than my father's six-foot frame. He is weary and anxious, and my father is stocky and stoic. Henry is pretty where my father is rugged. They have been best friends since before I was born. Henry has charisma and charm. He is lazy and used the gift of gab to get by in life. My father is honest. Henry is the opposite of my father. 
They'd been enemies before friends. My mother had been at the center of their dislike. She has the rare distinction of being pretty since the womb. Even now, in her misery, she is breathtaking, and beauty is a commodity everyone seeks to possess. They'd fought for her, but in the end, my father won out, and she had been an albatross ever since. Henry was the type of man who sucked the air out of a room. Attention sought him like a missile. At least he did until my sister died. Then the attention transferred to my dad. I think Henry became jealous. I've observed him for a while now. I know he was jealous, still is jealous, especially now that my father has Ike. That's the real reason Henry is here. He is interested in Ike. He wants to join in with what my dad does to him. Ike's screams don't repel Henry. They draw him. I watch them for a little while longer, as long as a girl my age can watch without becoming extremely bored. Instead, I have a more exciting idea. I slipped out the back door and headed to the barn. The closer I get to the aged structure, the louder the groans are. My heart sinks when I notice the lock on the door. I am disappointed, but not deterred. I am determined to see Ike. Little by little, I round the barn looking for a wide enough opening to watch him through. I locate a hole roughly the size of my eye and crouch down to look through it. Ike is resting against a bale of hay. You look terrible, I told him. He perks up. Who is that? I tap on the wood. Over here. He sits up with a grimace. Where? I tap the wood again, and he zeroes in on my location. Hello there, spy, he smiles. My father had really done a number on him. He sported a black eye on his right side. His left eye was swollen shut and purpling, and he has a fat lip. Despite his appearance, he seems to be in good spirits. With much effort, he gets to his feet and comes closer. What's your name? Surely you don't think that'll work, I say. What? You can't use your charm on my small-town slow ass. I won't help you escape. I shrug. You wouldn't get very far with that thing around your neck. My dad would just electrocute you. He chuckles, then groans. I'm not trying to trick you, he says. I can hear the rattle of the chains and realize he is chained to the post. Why are they saying I killed that girl? Sarah. Her name is Sarah, I say sharply, the anger flaring without warning. Sarah, he concedes. They found her DNA in your apartment and a lock of her hair. What? he exclaims in a high-pitched way that leans towards truth. He exhales, the weight of his situation fully on him. There was no getting out of it. I hear my mother screaming my name. I stand to leave. I can't stay away too long when she's calling me, or she'll have a conniption. She only has one bird left in her nest. I have to go, I say to Ike. Don't. I have to. You don't want my father to come looking. His face falls, and I have to admit I feel something. It is the first time in a long time someone is sad to see me leave. I'll come back, I say, running away. That night I went to bed early. I was sleeping soundly until my mother's screams erupted and echoed throughout the house. She has done this every night for the past seven years. It's something I'll never get used to. She is sobbing when I lay back down and close my eyes. I am able to push the crying to the back of my senses. 
I am dozing when I feel the cold draft nestle beside me. I open my eyes without turning over. I wondered if you were going to come tonight, I say. The flowery scent of my sister's perfume wafts over me, and I inhale deeply, trying to hold on to it. Of course, I came, Sammy, she says. I can see her reflection in the mirror. She is getting worse, her appearance. Each year her apparition looks worse, almost as if her soul is decaying the longer she remains. I start to turn to face her. Don't, she exclaims, but I do anyway. Despite the horror I know I will see, I want, need to see her, nonetheless. She is translucent, yet still manages to appear ashen. Her eyes are black, irises and all. The ring around her neck is deep, embedded. Even now it looks painful. She lifts a hand to it, self-consciously. In the blink of an eye, her image evaporates and condenses on the bed. She lays back next to me the way we used to lay together when she was alive. She's still crying, Sarah says. She's always crying. I wonder if she even remembers what she's crying for. Sarah makes a non-committal grunt. Dad's gone nuts, I continue. He hates him so bad, he'll probably kill him. His name is Ike. Ike? My sister says the name softly. He's cute. He's a fool, I laugh. I can't stay much longer, she says, breaking the vibe. I know. Seven years? I know, I repeat. You can go whenever... I'll be fine. I lie. I love you, Sammy. I know. But she is gone. The tears spill now, burning and bottomless. My mother is crying, too. I don't feel sorry for her. I can't even feel sorry for myself. I can hear my father's heavy footsteps coming to a stop outside of my bedroom door. He is listening. He is worried about me. Every time Sarah visits, he hears me talking, but he can't hear her. He worries that I am slipping into the same insane existence that has claimed my mother. If he only knew that I am the only one who is truly sane in this scenario. He turns away and creeps out of the house. He's going to the barn. He is going to Ike. I wake to the birds and my father working the shit out of Ike. I sit up in bed, yawn, and peek out of the window. I see them in the field planting. My father is on horseback, one of the two we own randomly lashing Ike with the buckle end of his leather belt. He pulls out his phone and suddenly Ike's body jerks in a spasm and he free falls into the dirt. My father laughs maniacally. I shake my head and head to the shower. I have an extended shower, enjoying the hot spray. I think about Sarah. I think about the condition she is in and I know I have to come to grips with losing her. Again. I cry. My body is racked by sobs and I can't stop them. It hurts. The emotional pain is so bad it feels physical. It fuels my rage, fuels my grudge against. I switch off the water and towel myself dry. The smell of breakfast cooking prompts me to quickly dress and hurry down the stairs. Mother is putting plates of heaping eggs, grits, and bacon on the table. She is smoking. The cigarette protrudes from her mouth. Her eyes are raw and puffy from crying. The sight of her makes me sick. We don't look at each other as I sit down at the table. My father has forgotten breakfast. He forgets about so much now. He is consumed with Ike. Ike has become an obsession. Henry decided to join in the fun this morning, and their fun could be heard coming from the barn. Dad hates him, I say, turning to look at my mother. She is looking out of the window towards the barn. Do you hate him? Who? she asks, 
knowing exactly who I am talking about. Ike. The Bible says we shouldn't hate, she answers distractedly. My mother has been deep into the Bible since my sister's death. That's been her lone companion when she is secluded in her room. She has long banished my father from her bed. She is married to the Bible now. She likes the idea of forgiveness because she hopes to be forgiven. She won't be. Forgiveness is the antithesis of grudges, and you should know by now that I hold them. I hold them like cards in my hands, waiting for the perfect time to play them. Strategic, poker-faced. I turn away from her, clenching my teeth, biding my time.